So we'll be looking at a number of different characters each week, starting next week, I think, uh, and we're starting with David, and I, th- uh, and I don't want to shock him, but I have a feeling Malcolm's doing it next week. Uh, is that right? Yep, yep. Uh, so we'll be starting off with that next week. But as I was looking at that and kicking off the series, I was looking at these two passages, Hebrews 11 and Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And as I read through them, as I studied them, um, I... I a question came to my mind, and that's what I want to address this morning as and seek to answer that question looking through these passages. Uh, and that question is, what is God's will for my life? It's a very common question asked whether you're at GCSE or A-level, whether you're beyond that time, what career, God, do you want for me? What subjects should I choose? What house should I buy? Where should I live? What church should I go to? What man should I get? What woman should I get? I don't know. (laughs) I was going to correct myself and say have, but again, that doesn't work either. But who, Lord, do you want me to be with? That might be a question some people ask, and different people have different interpretations of that. A very good question. How do I find out God's will for my life? And the series we're going to be looking at, we see people who stepped out in faith, but at some point in time, they heard God's voice telling them to do this. How do do I do that? How do I find out what to study in school? How do I find out what career to go for? Because they might, and by the way, I'm still working that out. Uh, So if you're 15 or 16 and thinking, what am I going to do when I grow up? Uh, Rest assured, some of the rest of us are still trying to work that out too. How do we discern God's will as listed in Romans chapter 12, as it says? And let me read a couple of different versions of Romans 12. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God, it finishes. So it tells us something and it says, so that you may discern or so that you may test and approve what God's will is. So we're going to seek the answers out in the two key texts that I mentioned this morning, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and Hebrews chapter 11, of three steps to trying out, finding out God's um, will for our lives. And it's not just three simple steps or three, you know, it's not some new book I'm going to write or anything like that, um, or, or any book that I've read. So before we turn to Romans chapter 12, in fact, feel free to turn, up, turn it up now. Uh, as I do the same. And we're going to read in a wee minute chapters 12 uh, verses 1 to 2. Let me give you one wee bit of background uh, about Romans. The first 11 chapters is all about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. He has given us so many things, Paul says. He's given us salvation. He has given us peace. He has given us assurance. He has given us security. He has given us grace. He has given us the Holy Spirit in our lives. He has adopted us into his family. We can have peace and patience and hope. We can have honor. We have honor. We have righteousness all because of Christ. We have freedom. We have been adopted into his family. There's so many great things. Amen. And it struck me uh, about you know, how much God has done for us. Uh, and um, as I was thinking about this, and then Paul, by the way, then in the next few chapters, beginning with chapter 12, he says, therefore, because of all those things, here's what I urge you to do. And it reminded me of a program on TV. Uh, I don't know whether any of you have seen it. Uh, and it's called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Hands up if you've seen that program before. 
Right, okay. Um, and and there's, there's this family, and there's, there's an example of a family up at the top, right? A kind of deserving family. A family who've been, you know, challenged or suffering or who've put themselves out there, and the community know all about this family. And maybe there's someone who's in great need. Maybe they've adopted some kids, and they're living in a really poor house. And what the people do is they identify this family and they call up this team, this extreme makeover team, and they send them off on a holiday. And sometimes they literally bulldoze the house down. And within a space of about a week or 10 days, the most amazing number of people you see in the bottom right-hand side come from all over the community. People who are builders, architects, plumbers, everything. And they do the most amazing job in the house. And then when uh, the people come back from holiday, uh, they're put in front of this bus. They can't see the house. The house has been rebuilt. It's been extended. And then everybody shouts, move that bus. Move that bus. Bus. And then the bus goes back and everybody's crying because they're just so moved and there's a, just a beautiful facade at the front of the house and they go into the house and here's the living room and they've got a brand new sofa and they've got a brand new 65 inch TV. Uh, what a blessing. And then they take them through to the, to the, the laundry room and the bloke goes, that's great. I can see there's so, there's a washing machine there. I'm so happy. And they take them upstairs to the bedroom and the bloke's got a basketball net in his room and the, and the girls have got, I don't know, Nemo or something on the walls and, and there's fish everywhere and it's just, and then I go downstairs and have, that's not all. That's not all. And they open the back door and there's the swings and slides and ropes and, and we fountains and, and we memory corners and everything. And it's one gift after another, after another. You've got to watch it. You really do. <laughs> and they're just so, so thankful for all of the good things that have been done. And that's a bit like Paul here. And he says, this is what God has done for you. I've just moved the bus and shown you what he's done for you. And now, therefore, in view of God's mercy, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I urge you to do. And, and, and he, he goes on to talk about uh, uh, some of the things. And as we do, as we look at that, I want you to listen carefully for some of the things that he's urging us to do. And those things will help us to discover what God's will is for our lives. So let's pick it up. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, all the things you've just heard about, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And so verse one, the first step, move on to the next slide there. The first step to discovering God's will is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And in Hebrews, this word body is the whole person, everything I desire, all the exam hopes that I have, all the hopes that I have, all the, 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 the future career hopes I have, all the relationships hope I, everything in me 
The body is the whole person. My desires, my choices, everything I have. And the picture of this sacrifice is this Old Testament. If you remember the priest in the Old Testament, he would have taken the animal and sacrificed it on the altar. It was a dead sacrifice and it became consecrated, given to God so that it was no longer belonging to the person who brought it. Instead, it belonged to God. And this sacrifice was holy and pleasing to God. And as we think about offering ourselves living sacrifices, maybe you say to yourself, but I'm no prize lamb. I've got acne. I've smell. I've got so many things wrong with me. This is hypothetical. You realize I'm not talking about myself. I'm bold. I've got lots of things that are not perfect about me. I keep failing God. How could I be holy and pleasing to God? But the first part of Romans tells us, positionally, because of what Christ has done, that's exactly what we are. We are holy and pleasing to God. And he wants us, in return for what he's done for us, to give ourselves over to him. Give control of God, uh, of your life, over to God. And that's the first step uh, of, 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 uh, of, of understanding what God's will is for us. Sorry, Amy, I'm going to uh, mention you here now. Don't panic, it's not bad. Um, but a few years ago when you were learning to drive, so I, just, I should involve everybody else in this conversation, shouldn't I? Uh, I remember the first morning when, when we went out, and please be aware of this, parents of those who are 16 turning 17. It really was quite traumatic. Would you, <laughs> would you agree? Not because she wasn't good, because she actually was very good. Um, but I remember the moment of, of the, the, the morning of her birthday, the night before we went down and practiced in the car park, but the morning of her birthday, I thought I'd pick the road between St. Field and Kalinche. There's not going to be that much traffic on the road. I think it was maybe a Saturday morning. Um, but off we set, and for some reason, 15 miles per hour seemed like lightning speed. <laughs> and, and the road seemed far narrower than I remember it. And it was really unnerving. I, Amy doesn't know this, but my, well, she knows now, but my, my knuckles were white. My, my legs were exhausted pressing the brake. And I couldn't do anything about it. Just say, ah, that's very good, very good, as, as the journey went on. And it really was quite unnerving. I was on the other side of the car and the keys had been handed over. I was putting faith in Amy. And it really was a difficult thing for me to do. And then actually, after the test was passed, so often I had to hand the keys over as she was able to drive my car. And I, 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 but there was something very significant about handing controls. There was an act of faith on that, giving control of myself uh, to Amy. And in that same way, um, Discovering God's will is step one for all of us when we're trying to understand what God's will is, being able to give everything over to God. What does that look like, I was thinking? How, how, how does giving control, what, is, what does that look like in practice? I don't know, uh, but I suggest this. It, it starts with a declaration in prayer. It starts with saying to God, you know, God, do you see this relationship that I have with someone? Do you see this issue I have? See this challenge? I want to surrender it to you. It might result in me then getting a different perspective on it and doing some forgiveness, uh, shedding some stress. It might 
involve me being a bit more servant-hearted as I see something in different perspective. But giving it to God, declaring it to God, letting God own it, giving the keys over to God, if you like. And the next step is in verse 2. It says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The second step is to keep your mind on God. And if we look at that same verse 2 in the J.B. Phillips translation, it says this, and listen carefully, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but, get, but let God remold you from within. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. I am convinced that without realizing it, we are in big danger always of allowing the world to squeeze us into its mold. Some of the young people we've been talking about who are leaving and heading across the water or heading down south will return. Some of them will be returning at Christmas and some of them will have English accents. Some of them will have Irish accents and Scottish accents and please tell them to wise up. They're from Northern Ireland, okay? They're going to be squeezed into the mold of those that are around them. I have a friend who said to me that they belonged to Causeway Coast Vineyard. And uh, a few years ago, if we'd have said, we're coming up to see you, they would have said, we're really excited, because they would have been lying, but they would have been nice to us. And they said, we're super excited of you coming up to see us. And I thought, you don't say super excited. Alan Scott, the pastor, says super excited. You've been squeezed into his mold. You're going to be talking with a really Scottish accent. That's me being kind. Uh, But... They're they're being squeezed into his mold of how he talks. Good guy to have a mold squeezed into or something like that. I was watching my nephew playing football. uh, A bunch of 11, 12-year-olds playing football up in Coleraine not that long ago. And I was horrified to see some of the dives and the facial expressions of these 11-year-olds They were the spitting image of your Ronaldos of this world, the the footballers, the premiership footballers. The drama of the dive was outstanding and it was horror to watch because they're being squeezed into the mold of the premiership footballers. We don't realize how much all the time we're taking in. I was talking to a lecturer in Belfast Bible College recently who teaches on ethics And they said to me, they've been teaching the same thing for about uh, seven or eight, maybe ten years now. And gradually, whilst they teach the same thing about issues of sexuality, about issues of life, people are saying to them more and more, boy, you're tight, boy, you're conservative. And yet he hasn't changed. But in ten years, something is happening to the people that are hearing him. I'm not saying he's right or wrong. But there is, a, there is a progression of people perhaps being influenced by what's around us. What is happening, I believe, is that we are dangerously but subtly and dramatically influenced by what we watch. And it was uh, our attitudes to alcohol, our attitudes to morality, our attitudes to so many things, image, self-image. According to Common Sense Media, I was reading this, uh, it, was, it was an article written in the Washington Post that I caught online, not that I read it that often, but the average teenager in America spends this amount of hours online. Wait for it, 
nine, nine hours online. Watching, streaming, listening, social media, all the rest of it. And what is portrayed as normal is being fed all the time into all of our minds. And I'm not saying you should never watch anything or or listen to anything, but measure what you're listening. Put it before the throne. Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this word. Don't let it squeeze you into its mold, but instead, he says, be transformed. This word transform means it's the same as metamorphosis, the same word we have, the same root meaning, that, that transformation of something from the inside out. And what I would say is this, that we have to keep our minds on God because whatever is pure, lovely, holy, praiseworthy, that's the sort of thing that we want to be shaped by and that God wants us to be shaped by. And I would put a word of caution here. The more we study God's word, that does not mean that we will be transformed. It has the potential of increase in knowledge. But this keeping our minds in God is a heart issue. It's saying, God, speak to me through your word here. I want to reflect on what you're saying here. I want to pour out my heart. I want to worship you, Lord. And I think you'll agree with me. The people who we have seen that have been transformed, metamorphosized by God, no matter what culture they come from, no matter what personality they have, there's something about it that you know, that you know that they have been transformed by God's Holy Spirit. And so the second step to understanding, approving God's will is to keep your mind on God. First, give yourself to God. Second, keep your mind on God. And the third one, uh, for that, I want to move to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm not going to look at the whole passage in detail. We don't have time. But uh, on the next slide, just to plug again, what we're going to be looking at is this whole area of finding life through faith. I want to read Hebrews 11, just verses 1 and 2, and then I want to say one or two wee quick things about it. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That is what the ancients were commended for, the heroes of faith. Each was commended for their faith. As Derek mentioned, uh, Noah estimated probably somewhere between 55 and 75 years to build the ark. You probably wouldn't have lasted that, Derek. No, wouldn't have seen it. Moses chose God's people over comfort of the palace. Abraham got up and left everything, not knowing where he was going, all in faith. And some of the people listed in Hebrews 11 achieved great things. And some of them had a tremendous challenge in their lives. Some of them were young and ambitious. Some of them were old and ambitious. Some of them just wanted to settle for a quiet life. But each of them stepped out in faith. And verse 6 says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We could say so much about this, but just briefly to mention, faith is not faith in faith. The more I believe, the more power I have. It's not that at all. The object of our faith is God. These people were characterized by putting their trust, putting their money where their mouth was in God. 
And as I thought about that, I looked at the passage in, in my Bible. It's entitled, the sort of title above it, which is, uh, which is put in by the translators, if you like. It just says, Faith in Action. And it occurred to me that Noah didn't sit and agree with God. You know, theologically, I've come round to the position, and I'm now in this camp, that indeed the world is fallen, and indeed an ark does need to be filled. I absolutely agree with that. I'm in that camp of agreement with the ark building. He rolled up his sleeves and built the ark. And it struck me that I'm so much in danger of being that, having that attitude of thinking it, believing it, but doing nothing about it. And this whole issue we talked about, the move the bus, it's, it's not that we're earning God's salvation. It's been done for us through Christ, but there is a response that's required from us. I was watching a, a program uh, recently. Trust me, I'm a doctor. Uh, that's the program. I'm not telling you I'm a doctor. Um, and I, I've told some, some of you about something I did about this years ago, but I was watching it again. About three weeks ago, they did this thing called high-intensity interval training. And I've been buzzing about it. I've been telling so many people about it. There was these people, and they, they did two and a half hours every week. Like it was like three sessions, about 45 minutes, they were out jogging. And then these people, and they did three minutes. 20 seconds, 40 second rest. 20 seconds, 40 seconds. Three times, three times a week. Three minutes, two and a half hours. Well, actually nine minutes when you multiply. I've been telling people, and do you know what happened? They, it was amazing. What happened was they tested their fitness and at the end of it all, these people, yes, they improved their fitness, but these people improved their fitness all the more. It was remarkable. Oh, by the way, please don't try this at home until you've checked the website. I did years ago and I near killed myself. Um, so, so, so there are some, there are some provisos. But in the last three weeks, I've been telling everybody about this and it occurred to me, do you know what? I still haven't done anything about it. But I'm in the camp. I'm a total believer in the high-intensity interval training. I will preach that gospel of it. But don't ask me whether I've done it or not. Isn't that amazing? 80% of people, apparently, in, who are, have gym membership in America, don't use it. I'm a gym member. Oh, yes, the power of fitness. It's a belief that doesn't transfer to the feet. And these people in Hebrews 11 were people who stepped out with God. This third step, if we want to find God's will for our life, we give ourselves to God, we keep our minds on God, and we step out with God. Faith is hard work, and it doesn't always produce happy endings this side of eternity. These people who had faith all had something in uh, uh, in common as you read through it and verse uh, 13 and verse 16 of Hebrews 11 talks about that even when they died they had faith even though they hadn't received what they'd promised what been promised they were still longing for a better country according to verse 16 God had prepared a city for them they were living with a perspective beyond today. They were living for a perspective in eternity. And you'll be hearing about our experiences in Moldova in a few weeks' time. Uh, but if I'm honest, one of the things that kept me going on Moldova as I sat on the, on the kind of not that comfortable bed on the dusty floor, as I ventured towards the, the hole in the ground, which was called a toilet. Uh, as, as I watched some of my friends being sick and subsequently was sick myself, one of the things kept me going was, do you know what? I knew, 
And we all knew, if we're honest, that we were going back to memory foam mattresses, heated toilet seats, Gaviscon, and the odd chicken tikka masala. There was a hope. We weren't living for the week in Moldova. We were living because we knew that the perspective was we're returning to something a bit more comfortable. That's the way these people lived. They lived knowing about what was in front of them, what faced them. Sometimes we're not going to be satisfied with what's around the corner. And you know what? That's normal. That's okay. Because our home is not here. Our home is in the future. And that's what these people in Hebrews 11 find as they stepped out in faith. Okay, so how do I know God's will then? How can I know the way? I've given myself to God. I've kept my mind in God. I want to step out with God. How do I know the way? That's the question that Thomas asked Jesus. When Jesus said, I'm going to my father's house. There's many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place and then I'm going to come back and you're going to come to be with me. And Thomas said, how do we know the way? You remember what Jesus answered? He answered this. He said, I am the way. He said, I am the way. It's not a code to be cracked or a series of clues or a series of instructions. It's me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. The prophet Jeremiah said. Once Augustine was asked, apparently, Augustine, years ago, Augustine of Hippo, was asked about this sort of subject, about how do you know what to do? And he said this, or it's been paraphrased to this, love God and do what you please. And I think there's something in that, that when God, when we are intimate with God, he puts his his law on our hearts. And then he says, now, delight yourself in me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. And as I thought about this, the picture of a little child came back to me. And so it was no accident that I put a few children up there in the the slides as we went through. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, anyone who will not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. When, I'm going to pick an Ellen this time, was a toddler, about one and a half, we were on holiday, and she escaped from the caravan when we were on holiday and made a run for it. And we didn't know. I blame Bethel. My dad found her and carted her up, and it struck me. We were horrified. I was just saying, Bethel. And it struck me as I was thinking about it. Do you know, if I was a parent, and I was, one of us were, and my daughter said to me, Dad, I want to go to the park, and we were at home. I wouldn't say, right, the park in Sainfield. Okay, you're one and a half. Listen very carefully. Go down to the bottom of the street. Be really careful when you cross there. Look left, look right. Because I care about you. Go right. Then go up there. Second left after the bank. And then you turn another left down. Go down the hill over the ramp. Go through the bushes. Avoid the drug dealers. Avoid the alcoholics. Do not step on the gla- glass. And then have a ball. And hey, be careful out there. That's not the way I would do it. I'd say, come on. I'm going to take you. And sometimes I would say, I'm going to carry you. And that's the picture Jesus gave for each of us. He wants us to respond to him in intimacy. Like a little child to say, I want to give myself to you, God. And I want to stay on the altar by giving my mind to you. And I want to step out for you. When we do that, 
he will write his laws in our hearts. He'll give us the desires of our hearts. He'll take us each step of the way. And you know what? We'll be transformed. I want more of his life in me. As I step out in faith, I want more of his liberty and his peace. We're going to move into a time of communion. Time is marching on, so I'm, I'm going to ask Derek in a wee minute or two to, 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 there's one particular song I want to sing during communion. We've been talking about the, the, the sacrifice that Christ made that made it all possible. This is not something we earn. It's something that he calls us to because of what he has done for us. This is what we're celebrating here. And he gave us these instructions to remember him, to be able to reflect and recall what he went through and recall what it means that he went to the lengths because he loved us so much because he wanted to adopt us. And so as we take these elements this morning, Jesus, we're remembering what Jesus did on that Passover night, that he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he blessed it and he said, this is my body that's broken for you because I love you. I want intimacy with you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant. This represents this new, this new era, this new covenant in my blood because everything's been done for you. This is a victory supper that we're celebrating. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the elements. Um, there are people who are going to come up in a minute or two. And as we do, feel free to respond in prayer. Uh, Derek is going to lead us in a song. And let's, let's also use the opportunity to maybe recommit and say, Lord, as a little child, I want to be in your will. I want more of your life. Because I know that's the only place that's going to find purpose and liberty. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to, and as I do, I'm going to ask the people who are going to share the elements to come up, please. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, the love you have for each of us is just so huge. Thank you that it, uh, the, the sacrifice, Lord Jesus, that you, the extent that you went to on the cross, as represented by these elements, just released so much. It gives us freedom. It gives us liberty. It gives us all we need. And as we take these elements this morning, the bread and the wine. We want to give you thanks and use it as opportunity to maybe reflect on what you're saying to us this morning and to remember the extent of the love that you have for us.